When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S. F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. We're talking with Jennifer Green today, history professor at the University of Southern Indiana, and one of my all-time favorite guests, Jennifer also serves as the school's reference and archives librarian. I met Jennifer following a trip to a small town called New Harmony on the Indiana-Illinois border. New Harmony is without a doubt one of the strangest places I've ever been. Founded by a commune, constructed by that commune, and then sold to another commune, both of which ultimately failed. The town, however, almost 200 years later, looks great. It's like a massive diorama from the colonial era, out in the middle of nowhere in southern Indiana. When I visited, I was immediately captivated by this unique place. I reached out to Jennifer shortly afterward to learn more. The last commune to own this town was known as the Owenites, led by a wealthy Scottish industrialite named Robert Owen, and I wanted to know why they ultimately failed. He failed for a couple of reasons. Even though he had been to New Harmony and he knew we were on the frontier, I don't think he truly appreciated that there was not a built-in workforce like where he had come from in Scotland. There weren't a bunch of poor people hanging around looking for factory work. That's just not what was happening in 1824 in southwestern Indiana. 
also, I think he didn't really have a plan. He had this idea, and of course, he had written the book, The New Moral World, but I'm not sure he really had an idea how to implement it, which is why things quickly started to degenerate. I think he thought he could just come in and say, okay, we're going to do it this way. And he brought in all these intellectuals and people who came from wealthy families. These are not commoners. And they were like, wait a minute. He promised us enlightenment. He promised us scientific exploration. And he, at the end, he just couldn't deliver. What strikes you today about New Harmony is just how nice it is. It looks like it was built with money and like it has been maintained with money for the last 200 years. It's small and rural, but everything feels well-built and preserved. As you might have guessed, the original commune was religious. It was based on the personal revelations of a Christian mystic named George Rapp, who may or may not be an ancestor of my wife, who is also from Indiana and whose maiden name is also Rapp. More on that later. When Rapp took his followers to Pennsylvania and sold the town to Owen, Owen did not share this religious foundation, which helped contribute to the community's downfall. In some ways, the early communities had it easy because they had religion. And I can't think of a historic group that did not have religion at its core. So right there, you've got a built-in set of rules, expectations, and a social system. You could tweak, are we following the Ten Commandments, or are we focusing on the New Testament, all that kind of stuff. But you've got a built-in system ready for you to deploy. And certainly, Owen did not have that at all. Whatever you think of religion, it really is the best possible way to run a commune or a cult. As we all know, it can be used to organize a community and give it a purpose and a common vision for the future. It ensures that people have common values and can also be used to promise rewards that the commune itself never has to follow through on because they're in the afterlife. Yeah, because your reward is in heaven, which isn't that different from the Islamic message in some ways too, right? Just a quick note for anyone considering joining a commune, the most important thing is not so much what the leaders promise or even what they provide in the short term, so much as what kind of people they are. Your community will usually only be as successful as the character of your leaders allows it to be. The friend who was the survivor from Jonestown, she used to say over and over again, no matter how great life is, no matter how wonderful things are going, don't take your eyes off of who's driving the bus. She goes, that's how she got lost. She didn't keep her eye on what the leader was actually doing. She just got caught up in everything that was going around it and just let her brain buzz on that and not really think about the other. I asked if Jones presented himself to his people as a kind of godlike figure. If you listen to those tapes right before the suicide, he yeah. does talk as if he thinks he is, if not God, Jesus. The only way to salvation is through me. If you look at his earlier years, though, religion was a tool for Jim Jones. If he was talking to you, he could pick up on you very quickly, as most con men can. 
quite frankly. They're really good at reading people. And if you realized you wanted to hear about the Word of God, he's going to talk to you about the Word of God. Then he turns to you and he sees that what you're really into is social injustice. Talk to you about social injustice. And in his sermons in San Francisco and when they were up north in Redwood, he talked about all of those things during the course of the three and four hour sermons. So everybody got to hear something they needed to hear, yeah. that manip- manipulation. Now, and I think that Bornida, I think Humphrey Peters, boys, I think he thought he was God or a demigod, at least. I don't think he ever says that. But I, the things I've read, I think he did think that he was transcendent. His seed was the sacred seed that was going to populate the earth. Now, when we talk about Father Rapp and Mother Anna, I don't think they used religion as manipulation. I think they truly believed in what they were saying and what they were doing. And I don't know, maybe Ornida, he did too. I don't know. I just, there's something a little weird about his writings that don't quite, there seems to be that con aspect to it. And then you've got Jim Jones, who's an obvious con man, but then you've got Branch Davidians. I think he truly believed that he was the next Christ come to save his people. So one size doesn't fit all, for sure. But there is something to this. If you keep saying a message long enough and you keep repeating it, we're seeing it play out in real time today. You keep hearing something over and over again. Eventually you start to believe it, even though your brain should tell you that's not credible at all. We get those mixed messages right now come through our media and from our federal government. And so people go around and say, it's not real. You say that only because you heard somebody say that over and over again on TV. You never went to go see what the actual truth was, which is what Hitler did too. Yeah. World War II, he shut off the spigot. So you couldn't get news other than sanctioned news. I asked Jennifer if we should think of Father Rapp as a cult leader. I don't know that I would call him a cult leader because you've got to define those terms when you throw them out there. But yeah. he did isolate his community. You weren't allowed to speak English in the community. There's an isolating factor. And if your family were not harmonious, they were they could come and visit. It's not like Jim Jones, where it's like he did keep people literally away. People could come and visit, but you had to stay at the tavern. You couldn't stay in the house with the other harmonists. And you had to prove yourself in order to become a member. So there's that isolating factor right there. They set a very set rules. I asked how potential members might prove themselves by showing that you could follow the community rules so there are stories of people who stay like in new harmony at the tavern the harmonist had a tavern there and he stayed there for i can't remember his name i'll send you the article it's actually it's all about whiskey but he does go off on the side thing he stayed there for i think six or eight months before he showed the community that he could accept their rules and be part of the community so you couldn't just walk in to the, the harmonists and say, I want to be a harmonist. You had to show yourself worthy of being a harmonist. One of the things I've heard from many communities is the requirement to give all of your possessions to the community when you join. I mentioned this to Jennifer as something that always struck me as an immediate red flag. That is definitely a red flag. 
The modern communities that I go to today, the modern communes I visited today, not even the farm down in Tennessee makes you give up everything anymore. Very few places practice that true communalism. Now, they didn't harmonize. You gave up everything to be a harmonist. You gave up everything to be a shaker. But you didn't do that for Owens community. Although they had dorms for single people, so they practiced communal living but not necessarily communal assets, which may be another reason why Owen failed. From what I could tell, the Owenites failed for the opposite reason of so many other communal groups. Rather than isolating themselves to the point where they lose all their relevance and cease to exist, the Owenites more just melted into the surrounding population. I suggest this to Jennifer, along with the idea that New Harmony's idea of communal ownership may have been healthier or fairer. Yes, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Although there was an interesting study our anthropologist out here did looking at the houses in New Harmony when the harmonists were there. Who had brick houses and who had wood houses? And where were those in relationship to the other things that were happening in the community? And he couldn't make any definitive conclusions because we're talking about a very short time and we really only have one really good map from when the harmonists were there. But we know Father Rapp had a very fancy house. And it looks like several of the big leading community members had brick houses, whereas your normal harmonist grouping would have been wood. And they do seem to be strategically placed around the church, which was the center of the town under the harmonist, which is the big field right across from the WMI. Okay. You stand in front of the WI and you turn and look the other way, that big field, that was where the church sat, okay. the harmonist church sat. The doorway, it's a replica. They actually do have the original doorway. Mm. But what stands in that park today is a replica. Even in communes, people need hierarchy. We need social mobility or the possibility of it or else we get bored. Exactly. There's still social mobility. It's just playing out in a very different way than we're accustomed to seeing it. At our core, we're herd animals, and herd animals have hierarchy. We naturally seek patterns, and whether people would admit it or not, they love routine. People love routine. They can argue that they are anarchists. We all have our routines, every last one of us. So it had to play out somehow. Maybe that's why the harmonists managed to stay together as long as they did, because they recognized that on some level. You know, they tried uh, labor currency. That was Josiah Warren, who started the first labor store. That was in Owen, where you could give a chit for two hours of working in the field for X number of supplies. Didn't ever really pan out very well. I asked for an example. Okay, so I would go to the store in New Harmony, and I would say, I need seed for planting. And the store owner would say, okay, a five-pound bag of seed is going to cost you four hours of labor. I buy the four-pound seed, and then the owner calls me up and says, okay, my corn's coming in. You owe me four hours in the field, or I'm building a barn. You owe me four hours of labor to come and help me build my barn. And the idea was that you would exchange goods on this labor basis. This is just a return to a very primitive labor economy. You're cutting out the middleman, 
you still have currency, your time and labor become your money. Except that you still need currency. The community itself was not self-sufficient. Even the harmonists in New Harmony were not self-sufficient. If you wanted coffee or tea, you're not getting it from around here. If you want sugar, now we had honey, obviously, but if you want sugar, not coming from around here. And no one outside the community is going to accept man hours or labor as currency. Good luck buying your coffee or anything else that wasn't grown or produced on site. Exactly. I guess the Amish still play that out a little bit in their lives. They don't live in the close communities like they used to. They're actually spread out now, but they still go over and help each other raise a barn or harvest a field. I suggest this is more of an ongoing mutual obligation rather than a transactional exchange. Yeah, I think so. I think it is more that way than transactional. Although you could look at it as transactional. I help you build your barn. You're going to help me build my barn. We're all going to help him build his barn and he's going to come help us. Anyone who's ever helped a friend move knows exactly how quickly things change when that person no-shows when it's time to help you. Things get transactional quick. We feel we're owed a favor by that person of equal or greater value. Exactly. Yeah. And then it all starts to fall apart. And in Owen's community, I know we're jumping around. In Owen's community, there was supposed to be classless, but it wasn't. There are people who came with wealth and the Owens, they built a really fancy house. They lived in Rapp's house for a while. And then David Dale Owen builds the laboratory. Owen's house, is that the huge mansion? It's actually next to probably what you're thinking of as the huge mansion behind the brick wall. That's, I think, the McClure house. Okay. And then the Owen Laboratories was right next to it. It's hard to see it this time of year because of the trees. It's hard to see the Owen Lab. If you did a tour of the granary, they take you up on the second floor and you can look down on the... Oh, cool. On the lab, because his first lab was in the granary. Tell me about the lab. What was the lab for? He was a geologist. David Dale Owen was a geologist. And he also did a lot of surveying. He was part of surveying the Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the science tradition comes in through the Owens, not certainly not the Harmonists. <laughs> we talked about labor. So in the Harmonist community, you were assigned your jobs according to the leaders of the community. But again, you have to get you have to work with the outside world. So they had a tavern and they sold whiskey. Now the Harmonists did not drink hard liquor. They're German, so they drank beer and wine, but they didn't drink liquor. Yet they produced lots of whiskey, as most of the Midwest did, because we had all this corn. It was just going bad. We had to figure out something to do with it. And so whiskey comes into the picture. They made a lot of money selling whiskey. In fact, they sold a bunch of it to old Shawneetown in Illinois. This is one of the best, most sustainable products I've ever heard come out of a community like this. The best part about it is that in Indiana, you have more corn than you know what to do with. So the corn they used was basically free. And whiskey stays good forever, unlike beer. Beer goes bad. Your mash goes bad to dump it. So on the positive side, the Harmonists produced rope. That was actually one of the biggest things that they sold, was that they made hemp rope. And that got shipped all the way back to Europe. So did some of their wine, is my understanding. And then later the silk production comes on board. 
And my understanding is that kind of boomed in New Harmony. But the real silk business comes when they get back to Oldacom, when they move to Oldacom. Because the Harmonists went to Harmony, Pennsylvania first. And I think they went there, I think it was right before the 1800s. You have to check my dates. Then they moved to New Harmony in Indiana in 1814, when we're still just part of the territory, because Western Pennsylvania had just become too populated. It's hard to say that with a straight face. It's not very populated today. So they wanted to get away from that influence, but they needed to be able to support themselves. So they had to stay on the river so they could ship their goods back. So wine and rope, and then later whiskey. Although I don't think whiskey was really shipped east as much as it was sold probably more locally. They may have shipped some down to New Orleans, but I don't see much record of that. It seems like they were producing whiskey where they could trade with other villages around here, which means they weren't aging their whiskey either, probably very long. And the Shakers, we talked about them, they were seed merchants. They sold seeds. And the Heritage Collection we hear about today, the Heritage Tomatoes and this, that, and the other, I would imagine many of those seeds came from the Shakers. The Shakers went out and collected wildflower seeds, not just vegetables and plants in your garden, but botanical seeds across the spectrum. And they nurtured them and they saved them and they preserved them and they traded them. That was one of their big operations was their seed business, which today we ought to be really thankful that the Shakers came along and did that. We've already lost so much from that time period, but there's a lot we still have. I had a couple of questions for you. Yeah. We were talking about products that they had. Now, something that caught me that was very unique that I had never heard about from a community like this is they sold their towns, sold their two towns. They bought and sold towns. They didn't. So New Harmony wasn't a town when they bought the land. They built the town. And then they sold buildings and everything to Robert Owen. But when they go back to Old Economy, at one point they are own it. At, It's got to be like at least a third of Ohio. They own a dozen or more towns. They own oil lines. They own train lines. They're very industrial. No, I assume that they're selling these at a profit from what they purchased. So could that be considered a product that helped make them successful for so long? Yeah, although I don't know that would have been... My understanding is they would buy a town in Ohio because they wanted to control the train or the oil or whatever product it was there. And they wanted to be able to micromanage how things went. So they made their money by selling the products through that town and then sold the town. But probably that's not where the big profit came in. The big profit came in the products they sold while they owned the towns. And I don't know how many they sold because when they finally break up, That's part of what takes so long to probate their estate is they own all this property, literally entire town. Now, another thing that I noticed being in New Harmony is they had an example of what their daily schedules would look like, very strict schedules. Yes. And I know modern day, we teach that strict schedules can help, especially when you raise kids. If you have a troubled child who gets into trouble, drugs, whatever it could be, uh, a judge may send them to a facility or you may be assigned to a social worker. And one of the first things they'll try to do is put them on a strict schedule. So at the time when New Harmony was doing this very strict schedule, was that common knowledge of how well 
that practice could be when raising children? Yes and no. So it was certainly known that the harmonists and again, the shakers had a very similar, very strict routine to the way they lived their lives, but children were raised communally. So it wouldn't have been a direct, it might've been a consequence that these kids grew up with a better sense of stability because of, that might've been a byproduct of their routine. Because I feel that their routine was all part of that spiritual cleansing and the idea is that the whole community goes together. We all go to heaven together. And so this is what we've all got to do in order to get there as a one group. They probably did not see it in that kind of an altruistic version that we would see it today. Another question. Modern day, we know that anyone who is looking to rise to power of any kind, they will try to surround themselves or interact with other people of power. It gives them a legitimacy. Would leaders for communities like that do the same thing to want to establish their community? Because if I'm hanging out with Joe Schmo, who is a big lawmaker, that might make me look like a bigger leader or someone who hangs out with leaders. Have you ever seen that in, in other communities? I have not seen that with the Harmonists. Okay. I told you, they were politically active. Father Rapp was very interested in the way Indiana was developing. And the Harmonist community took part in helping to shape us in the, the first couple of phases of statehood. And then after we achieved statehood. But I think it was more for what they could gain out of it more than any reflective glory kind of thing. I think that Father Rapp thought that if he contributed lots of money and kept the community in the eyes of the legislators, he could get them to leave them alone. Let him run his little corner of the pocket the way he wants to. So that influence would more have been personal and internal to the survival of the community rather than what he would gain really from that. That's the way I would see that. Next week, Jennifer will return, and we will learn more about the Harmonists, including where they went after leaving New Harmony. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.